All right, welcome to BACOA's second Redefining Aging podcast episode. My name is Matthew Downing, and along with being BACOA's communications and client care manager, I'll be your host. We've got a great interview with Denise Brown today discussing caregiver burnout and Denise's six caregiving stages from her book, The Caregiving Years. Denise founded the Caregiving Years Training Academy in April 2020 after selling Caregiving.com, an online community she launched in 1996. We had a great conversation. She's so knowledgeable, and I really hope you all enjoy it. For more information on caregiving resources, you can call BACOA at 847-381-5030 or visit our website at www.bacoa.org. Here's my conversation with Denise. All right, Denise, so it's 1996, early days of the internet, and you founded caregiving.com. So talk me through what was your mindset then? What was that experience like? It was awesome. So I had been with some friends in the fall of 1995, and they told me about this newfangled thing called the internet. And a friend of mine said, I have a colleague on there who's doing really well. He's reaching a lot of people, and he's making some money. And I thought, I want to be there. So I taught myself how to build a website, actually, over the holidays in 1995. Wow, self-taught. Yes. Wow. Yeah. That's impressive. Yeah. So I launched the first iteration through, you won't know these companies that I'm going to talk about, but there was a service called Prodigy, which was one of the first online services. So I launched basically almost like a blog Mm -hmm. through there to see what it was like. Would people come? Could I get traction? And people came. And then I got the domain name in August of 1996. And what's interesting is people told me that I was wasting my time, that family caregivers weren't online. The reality is family caregivers are early adopters of what will make their life easier. And so the internet connected them to the world during a time when they're, they're homebound, just like their carry is. So I knew that family caregivers were online, and sure enough, they were. And what's interesting is one of the very first visitors when I launched caregiving.com was a woman named Jenny who cared for her grandmother, and she said to me, I want to connect to others like me. What can you do to make this happen? So I thought, well, what could I do to make this happen? So we created this email list where people did reply all, And so we sent emails to each other, and then people would request to be added to the list. And then it got to be a big list, and I thought there's got to be an easier way. And then I used software called a listserv, which actually captured all the email addresses in one email address and then distributed. And then from there, we went to different online groups. And then we had chats. So we chatted three times a day, every day. We had the chat room open. And this year on my new website, because I sold caregiving.com in 2020, I have a new community called Caring Our Way. We're actually bringing back something that we used to do, which is a 36-hour Christmas chat. Oh, wow. Yes. So we open up the chat room for 36 hours beginning at 11 a.m. Central Time on Christmas Eve through 11 p.m. on Christmas Day. And the idea is that sometimes in a caregiving situation, you just need a break to connect to others who get it. So the chat room is open so anyone could stop in and say, oh, I'm really having a hard time. Or, gosh, I just can't believe what Uncle Joe said to me just now. Just the most insensitive (laughs) comment. And you want to remain gracious during these family get-togethers. It's just nice to be able to pop in and say, guess what happened? So we have volunteers who man the chat room. And we just are there to allow people to vent and share support. 
and holidays can be stressful. And yes. being a caregiver is the yes. whole stuff of stress. Yes. So you set up this is really a, a support kind of community that you found online with all these people. Exactly. And it really started with Jenny, who yeah. said, can't you connect me to other people like me? And I was like, oh my gosh, why can't I connect her to other people like me? And it was just really looking at new technology that came out and how can I use the new technology to connect family caregivers? That's the goal. The best resource for a family caregiver is another family caregiver. And I really wanted to be able to make that match as easy and as simple as possible. And has this helped you at all in your own caregiving journey? Yes. So I started helping my dad in 2004. He was diagnosed with bladder cancer. He's now 91 and he lives near me in a senior living community. And then I added my mom as a carry in 2015, and she died in August of 2022, so just a few months ago. And it was nice to be able to know where to go for support, especially because sometimes you wanna talk it out with others who aren't in the family. So I was living it with my brother and sister and it was just helpful to be able to talk it out with someone who wasn't living it with me, who had some objectivity to help me think through what's happening, how do we support each other, how do we have conversations that are difficult with my parents. My mom was very resistant to hospice, for instance. She was very resistant to end of life until she wasn't. And I was in a place where I wanted to be ready when the resistance was gone. So it was helpful to talk it out with someone other than my mom, because my mom would just be so like, oh, my gosh, do we really have to talk about hospice again? Right. And it was ever present on my mind trying to really work through her resistance, accept it and still be ready when we needed to really be ready with additional support because end of life was right there for her. So these conversations, they're in a lot of ways, emotional support for people. And is this also a place where you can find resources? Yeah, it's it's talking it out. Yeah. And it's asking for, who can I go to for this kind of help? What kind of organization could help me with this? Right. What agency can I go to for this? And it's also thinking about, what's the equipment that I use that will help me now? One of the things that I didn't realize in my experience was the hospital bed which you think, oh, it's just a bed. But it's a couple settings on the hospital bed that can make a difference in terms of pressure sores. So it's, if I had had the awareness to ask someone who already cares for someone in a hospital bed, I would have said, okay, what do I do now that my mom's in a hospital bed? Because healthcare providers are so pressed for time that they don't really have the time to give to us that they would like to give to us. They have to get to the next client. But a family caregiver understands that and will take time to say, okay, here's what you need to know. Here are the supplies you want to get. And here's a YouTube video you want to watch around how to change someone in a hospital bed. That would have been, if I, I was so stressed out though, that I just couldn't think clearly enough. But that's really what we want to do for people is to think for them when they're in a situation where it's really stressful and they're not sure what they need because they're not sure what's going on. But someone who has the awareness of, you know what, I went through that and here's what I wish I had known. Just a few suggestions for you and then to offer those. 
Yeah, so you know that these people are going through the same experiences, so you have this wealth of knowledge that's available, as well as the emotional support that we talked about. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. So let's talk about caregiving burnout. What What is caregiving burnout? You know, How do we identify it? What do we look for when we're talking about caregiving burnout? So I have this concept around caregiver burnout, which really is it's an umbrella term, so I think about it as compassion fatigue, but we have to be specific about what we're tired of. So we can get tired of coping, we can get tired of supporting others. So for instance, we're not just supporting our family, but it could be coworkers or friends. If you are someone who is compassionate and caring, you're gonna draw people to you who want to receive your compassion and caring, and you can be burnt out from supporting all the people in your life. You can get tired of trying because you feel like, oh my gosh, we're going to try one more thing to see if it works, but I'm so tired of trying. You can get tired of grieving because you're watching these losses in real time. It's, it's so odd to see someone almost disappear in front of you. And it is so hard to manage these losses around abilities and communication on an ongoing basis and so I think we can get tired of the losses and the grief around the losses we can get tired of cooperating so we feel like we we cooperate with systems but they don't cooperate back with us so for instance like if your carry is in a hospital and it's discharge day you know what to expect which is that you're going to be running around organizing the discharge so you can get tired of cooperating with these systems that don't necessarily cooperate with you like a discharge planner is never going to say to me on discharge day for my dad for instance what's a good time for you how can we work yeah they're never going to ask me what's your yeah. work day like and how can we accommodate <laughs> it right they don't care yeah. they don't care so you get tired of always cooperating yeah and then there's other types of fatigue as well around just the emotions like the worries that we have we get tired of worrying but yet the worries are ever present so i think of this universal term around compassion fatigue and we have to get specific to know what can help us based on what's really wearing us out there's the saying of you know putting on your own oxygen mask before you put on others so when you're talking about this compassion fatigue is it important for caregivers to set that time aside for themselves and figure out how they can help themselves yes and you know what i think is the hardest thing for us to do during a caregiving experience is relax which it seems like oh why can't i relax it's because you're always thinking of what has to be done you're always thinking of that to-do list and you're always in a worry and it can be hard for us to go from 60 miles an hour to zero to relax. And I think if we can learn to relax during our caregiving experience, it can help us with that self-care. On a regular basis, actually every month, I host these free planning sessions called Respite in Place. And it's this idea that you can take a break right where you are, in your house or your yard or your community, and really tailor the break so it's a reflection of what you like and what gives you peace and comfort. And it's just taking a little bit of time to create almost like a space in the corner of your house, like the corner of your bedroom that is just for you. So when you need a little break and you think, I can't get out, I can't step away, I'm just gonna go into this space and read for a few minutes, light a scented candle, dim the lights, 
I'm just going to do what I can to relax. That can help us. I think in order for us to really look to more traditional forms of self-care, we have to learn first, I think, to relax. And I will also say that self-care during caregiving is very different than self-care before caregiving. Mm -hmm. So for instance, I think of this family caregiver that talks about how she went to the gym four times a week when she was caring for her dad. She was diligent. She was just committed to it. And she never lost weight because of the stress. Yeah. So it's this idea that we have to relax first, take care of the stress by relaxing, and then we can move into what other kinds of self-care activities that help us feel like, okay, I'm in control of my health, I'm in control of my career, or I'm in control of what else is going on in my family. Yeah, because it it's really is so stressful being a caregiver. So taking that time to relax and then moving forward from there is definitely an important step, and that's great that you offer that. So let's talk about your book. You've written a few books. Is the latest one out, The Caregiving Years? The latest one is actually a book for recovery plans. Okay. And it's almost like a journal mm -hmm. where we think about after a caregiving crisis, we have a tendency to just go back to our 60 mile an hour day without taking a few moments to think, oh my gosh, I just went through this really intense hospitalization or this really significant caregiving crisis. I need some time to actually recover from it. So this journal for our recovery plans helps us think through what are the strategies that help me take a little time after my caregiver comes home from a hospitalization or take a little time after a particularly stressful time like the holidays. Yeah. So that's the most recent book. The first book I wrote is The Caregiving Years, which yeah. is around the six stages. And the ninth edition of that came out last year. It's a concept that I developed in 1997 that I've been tweaking and revising and really living with for the past 20 yeah, five years or yes yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> and the book walks you through what it's like when you think you might be in a caregiving situation all the way through after caregiving ends a couple years after caregiving ends and each stage gives you different tips to help manage that stage and the goal is really to give you six keywords ask find receive welcome allow treasure so that if you're stuck and thinking what do I do? You could think, well, maybe I should ask for help or ask for clarification. Maybe I should just try to find another way. Maybe I need to just take a few moments to receive. Maybe I can welcome another way. Maybe I can allow this situation to play out. And maybe what I'm going to do is just make some moments that I can treasure. So each stage has a keyword, and those are the six keywords, which become strategies to help you manage this caregiving experience. And what I really wanted to do was answer the questions that people who were visiting the website would ask me, which right. were, why me, why now, what now? And I wanted the stages to be appropriate for any family caregiver, regardless of the age of a carry or a carry's disease process, it's about us and what this experience is like for us, and how do we manage that impact on our life. Yeah, and we get the epical, we get the what now calls from new caregivers all the time, and they're, you know, it's a, a usually an ch adult child taking care of a parent that, you know, is not an expected situation. It's not something that a lot of people plan for, so this is a great resource for someone that is just starting out as a caregiver, and you said it goes from the beginning of the caregiver all the way to the end of it, so that's really interesting that it has those six stages. Yeah, yeah. 
So you're the founder of the Caregiving Gears Training Academy. Can you tell me what that is, what you all do? Yeah, so I had started developing training programs for caregiving coaches in 2016. And so I sold caregiving.com so I could focus on the training programs because that's where I see the future. So a former family caregiver says, I have so much wisdom, I know so much, I wanna make sure that I can help others. They can go through the training program and then start a small business to coach and consult with, with current family caregivers. And I teach life coach communication strategies as well as how to lead family caregivers through planning and strategies. And it's the goal of anyone who thinks I need to do more because of my caregiving experience has the opportunity to do more. There's other training programs for support group facilitators. There's another training program that is for someone who is currently in a caregiving situation, is in the pragmatic stage, so has an idea of how shocking and upsetting caregiving is. It is not so surprised by that. Yeah. <laughs> so they can become virtual assistants to help family caregivers manage their schedule and get organized. And then I just actually developed the newest training program, and that's for comfort care family coaches. And it's for a family caregiver who has started palliative care for their caree. So I think that we define end of life in too short of a measurement. We often think about last six months. The reality is end of life can be a year, two years. For my mom, honestly, end of life for her was really about seven years. Wow. Yeah. And if we can start conversations and support with that family caregiver around end of life early, then when end of life is really there, like we're at the very end, there's support for that family caregiver to help with, for instance, family visits. So when my mom finally said, okay, I'm ready, she was completely accepting of the fact that she was dying, she agreed to family visits, which was fabulous. And I was so happy we could do that. It was then scheduling these family visits to happen while she was still alert and oriented. And I wish that I had had a coach that said, okay, you want to schedule these family visits and you want to be clear with the family who visits that you're going to be tired and the family visits are only going to last for 30 minutes or whatever it was because right. we didn't have any boundaries and there were a couple really well-meaning family members that just wanted to stay and my dad and I were just exhausted right. and we didn't know how to say it's yeah, time to I go. go. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I wish someone had coached me around that. So that's one of the reasons that I thought there's got to be a coach that's really specific to more end of life with an expansive definition of end of life that can really support that family caregiver so that when the hospital bed arrives, there's a call with the comfort care family coach before and after. Yeah. So the family caregiver is comfortable with what changes because the hospital bed has arrived. It's very different to provide hands-on care to someone in a hospital bed. And it's important to have those conversations with someone who knows that and then can help you adjust so that you don't feel like, oh, what do I do? It's just a terrible feeling when your carrie is dying to not feel like you know how to provide what they need. Because it's such a tender time, you really want to feel like, I know exactly what to do, I'm comfortable and confident doing it, and my carrie is okay. And that's really smart because 
honestly, a lot of people at times may feel like I'm not at end of life. I don't want to talk about palliative care. I don't want to talk about end of life care, but it is such a longer process. And you want to have these conversations with someone you're caring for when they're alert, when they're oriented. And when we're talking about palliative care, it's not all just about end of life care. It's about, you know, pain management and all these important things that I'm glad to see that you're starting it earlier and having these conversations because you don't want to wait till it's too late and towards the end, because it is not just about end of life. It's more of a longer process. You know what's interesting? So we started hospice services and they gave us this really simple book. It was a a little blue pamphlet that talked about this is what happens at end of life. And my sister and I, my brother and I read this book constantly. Like every day we would read this book. The words never changed in the book, but our understanding of the words changed because my mom was changing. And something that was really interesting that was recommended in the book was when a a family member is really at the very end that's when the family visits start and i thought that was so odd because i wanted my mom to be a part of the visits right so when my mom was alert and oriented and i knew that she was really dying Mm -hmm. and she was accepting that's when i scheduled all the visits so that she could enjoy these visits Right, and when the pe- for her and for the people visit, yes. you don't want her to be, like, right. be active and oriented. Yes, like so we don't want to wait. That's yeah. so interesting that the, it was recommended to wait. And I think of a, we have a training program that helps family caregivers with their hands-on care and managing their experience. And in one of the training programs, one of the participants said, my mom is in a memory care facility We think she's coming towards the end. She might have another eight months or so. When should families start to visit? Now, this was at the height of the pandemic when there was a break in lockdown so that people could actually start to get together with, with, yes. And she said, should I wait until the end? I said, no, they should come (laughs) now. They should come now. You never know what's going to happen. And if there's an opportunity where the facility is open for visitors, Take advantage of that. You don't want to wait. You don't want to have any regrets about why did we wait? I think the waiting piece is so, I think we're tempted to wait because we think, oh, I don't want to jump the gun and say it's happening when it's not happening. But the wait gets you caught up in waiting too long and you don't want to wait too long. No, yeah, absolutely. So it's the Caregiving Years Training Academy. Where else can people find you if they want to know about all your great resources, read your books, all the cool things that you're doing? Tell me, where where can people find you? Yeah, the best place to go is our community, which is called Caring Our Way. And the website is caringourway.com. So it's just three words, caringourway.com. And it's this idea that we're carrying our way through difficult days with support and understanding. Awesome. Thank you so much. I, I learned a lot and you have so much good knowledge and Um, It was great talking to you. Yeah, thank you, Matt. It was lots of fun. Thank you for having me. Thank you. All right, that's our episode for today. Thanks again to Denise. For more information on caregiving resources, you can visit www.bacoa.org or call our office at 847-381-5030. Again, that's www.bacoa.org. Thanks. (laughs)